I, and, and I don't mean just biblical biographies. I like to read biographies. one of my favorite types, genres of, of reading. And there are a variety of reasons. And let me tell you, y'all don't know me too well yet, but I was a librarian. Uh, you believe I, I lost my bun and they took my library card away, but <laughs> I, was, I was a librarian. I have a master's in library science from the University of North Texas. So I was a librarian in uh, Texas. I was a librarian in Chicago. And that's what brought me to the South. I was a librarian at Jacksonville State University. And uh, Alan Webster hired me away from that world. And I started working for House to House 19 years ago. Uh, and, and I haven't looked back. But that means, one of the things, it means a lot of things, but one of the things it means is I like to read. And so biographies are my absolute favorite genre. I like them better than fiction. I like them better than most other types of nonfiction. And there's a variety of reasons for that. The Bible uses biographies as one of the ways, one of its main teaching ways uh, to teach us about Christian lives, about the lives in the Old Testament of those who were righteous. And if you think about it, after creation, most of the stories in Genesis follow this kind of outline of different biographies, right? You have Adam and Eve, then you have Cain and Abel, you have Noah, you have Abraham and Lot, you have Job, we have Isaac and Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, and it, and it just goes through the whole Old Testament like that. Of A lot of it is biographies, certainly some of the most interesting points. And we remember stories about people because people are interesting, right? When you read fiction, a lot of times you watch TV shows, you read fictional stories, Sometimes, most of the time, it's kind of easy to figure out what's going to happen, right? So it's going to be a happy ending usually. The boy gets the girl or the girl gets the guy, whatever it is. It's, it's not too hard to figure out where this story is going. Real life is not like that. Biographies are not like that. When we read biographies, there's not always a happy ending. And you can't even predict the twists and turns. And our lives are all like that in the lives of famous people. Or like that as well. So when we read biographies, there's that unpredictableness that makes it even more interesting than any kind of fictional story. Today, I want to take a look. I just want to look at a photo album, basically, of five different photos of the life of John Mark. Uh, I find John Mark to be a very interesting and encouraging biography. And we're going to start out in Acts chapter 12 as sort of the first mention of John Mark in Acts 12 and verse 12. And we're going to take a look at everything that the Bible says about John Mark. It says this, When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. First, as a young man, it seems that he was following the teaching of Jesus. John Mark is in a Christian home. And we know that because we've kind of jumped into the middle of the story here. Peter has just escaped from prison in a miraculous escape. And, you know, when he comes to himself and he thinks, where am I going to go? I've just escaped from prison. He goes to Mary's house where John Mark is. He's 
part of a Christian home, right? And he's following the teaching of Jesus. There's actually probably a earlier and earlier mention of John Mark in the book of Mark. Uh, it's not absolutely certain, but if we look at Mark 14, I think that it most likely is talking about John Mark here. He's talking about himself because he's writing the gospel account of Mark and he's being modest. He's not wanting to mention himself by name. But we look at Mark 14 and starting in verse 49, Jesus says, I was daily with you in the temple teaching and you took me not, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. And there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body, and the young man, men laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. That's the actual introduction of, of John Mark. That's how we learn about John Mark. That's most likely talking about himself. Isn't that a weird way to, to be introduced? So Jesus is arrested, and all the apostles and his disciples flee from him, Evidently, John Mark has heard the commotion. Maybe some of them came back to his house and told him. And without a moment's hesitation, he grabs some kind of cloth and drapes it over himself. Maybe he was sleeping, right? And he rushes to where Jesus is. They try to arrest him and take hold of him. And they grab his cloth and he slips away and he has to run back home naked. That's a very strange and interesting introduction. But it shows us in this strange detail, if it was him, that he was interested in Jesus to the point where he was almost captured. While others were fleeing from him and forsaking him, he's trying to go to Jesus and see what's going on. Is there a revolution that I need to join? Is, is there something I can do to help? So as a young man, here he is doing that. So it's certain that he was raised in a Christian home. 1 Peter 5.13 seems to indicate that Peter likely converted him and his family. And that's the first place Peter goes when he's, after he escapes from prison. And they're praying for him there. There's a little house church there. And that's sort of the, the background of John Mark. That's his foundation. He's got that Christian home. It also seems that it was a wealthy home. They had a courtyard. They had a servant girl named Rhoda from verse 13. Mark had the opportunity to be around the apostles, to be around Jesus, to be about, around faithful preachers and active Christians in the very earliest time of the church. How exciting that would be. You think about the wonderful opportunity that would be. Sometimes we, we have gospel preachers to our home to eat, right? And my children get to experience that those, those great men who are preaching the word of God, they get to ask questions and they get to be around that. And I had that when I was young. My parents had people over. And so being in that home is a wonderful opportunity for him as a young man who's interested in the gospel, not only because he got to see miracles and things like that, but because he got to hear wonderful preaching and wonderful conversations. He could ask Peter questions. I would love to have just one hour where I could sit with Peter and ask him questions. Wouldn't that be amazing? And James and John and, and others. 
And there are others in the New Testament who are blessed with godly parents. We have John the baptizer. We have Jesus himself, of course. Paul had godly parents who were following after Judaism. They were faithful Jews, and they sent him to school uh, to learn more about Judaism. Timothy, and there are others. And as children and teens, we need to thank God if we have that background, if we have Christian parents. But like Paul, once he converted to Christianity... I'm sure he was concerned about his parents who were mistaken religiously. We need to not dishonor God by honoring our parents. In other words, we need to follow what God says and not what our parents say if it conflicts with what God says. And as parents, we need to take every opportunity to give our children a spiritual head start in life. They're only ours, of course, for a short time, and our ability to influence them is short-lived. During that time, we need to take time to train them in the way they should go. So that's our first picture of John Mark. He's in a, a Christian home. Our second picture of him is, unfortunately, as a deserter on the mission field. Look at Acts chapter 13. <clears throat> And verse 5. And when they were at Salome, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John to their minister. So they've taken John Mark with them. Then we jump down to verse 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. John Mark had been given a high honor. He got to go with Paul and Barnabas as their helper on their first missionary journey. What an honor it would have been to sit at the feet of those men, to help those men do their ministry. And he was chosen to accompany them on that trip. But he makes a mistake. He turns back. We don't know exactly why, but we know from a little bit later that Paul wasn't pleased about it, right? He's possibly discouraged. Maybe there's been some controversy that has taken place and he has gotten concerned, scared. Maybe he's homesick. Maybe he's jealous that Paul and Barnabas are getting all of the attention or that Paul is getting more attention than his relative, his uncle Barnabas. Probably he lost courage at Perga, seeing these high mountains, and it's a notorious place for robbers. Things had been good in the church when he was in Jerusalem, when he was with them in Antioch. There was lots of support, lots of friends, lots of encouragement. But things are tough on the campaign trail. There's a lot of dangers. It's unfriendly. It's uncertain. It's scary. That's the word I would use. Certainly we've all felt that. We've all felt scared to to push forward. And that's what he feels here. It's a dark spot in his life. He is still a young man, and he's now failed miserably. This could be a mark on him for the rest of his life. He could let this decision affect him forever. 
He's got to go back and face his family and his friends and the church, and he's got to let them know, you know, I was a disappointment. I got scared. I got homesick, whatever it was, and I left them on the mission trail. They go on. They continue on, and now their journey is even harder because they don't have John Mark there to help them. But John Mark is not the only one that this has ever happened to. In fact, if we turn to the book of Mark and we look at Mark chapter 14, and we think about Mark writing these words, he was also a companion. He knows Peter. He was a companion of Peter. Peter talks fondly of him. Uh, he was, Mark was there when Jesus was taken, and he has experienced failure of his own by the time he is writing these words. Look at verses uh, 66 through 72 of Mark chapter 14. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answers thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, uh, the high priest asked him, and he said unto him, Art thou the Christ, Son of God? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man, see on the right hand of the power, coming in the clouds of heaven. I think I wrote down my verses wrong. 14. Oh, here we go. And Peter, verse 66, And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what you're saying. And he went out into the porch, and the rooster crowed. And a maid saw him again, and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again, and a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech agrees thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time the rooster crowed, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the rooster crows twice, you shall deny me three times. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Luke adds a detail in that, that Jesus looked at him. When that happened. And I'm sure that was a powerful uh, and scary look that Jesus uh, gave him at that time. Mark's not the first one to fail on the mission trip. He's not the first one to experience that kind of failure. And what we have to do, we have to not let our failures become final. In other words, when we let our brethren down, when we let our families down, when we let God down, we don't need to give up and stop there. We need to get back to where we should be and get learn from that experience and grow from it. Galatians 6.9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. This idea of not fainting, of not giving up, that's absolutely vital to getting the message out to people. If Mark had given up, this would be the end of his story. We would not learn anything else from the life of Mark other than he gave up on the mission trip and then fell into obscurity. We don't hear from him again. But that's not the case. We turn to a third picture of John Mark. This one is where he is rejected by his brethren. Look at Acts chapter 15. 
and verses 36 through 41. And some days after, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Let's go on a second mission trip, right? And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought it not good to take with him with them, who departed from them, Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Several years have passed since John Mark left them on the mission trip. They have come back from their missionary journey. They've given the report. They've continued their work there in Antioch. And now Paul says, let's go on a second missionary journey. Let's go back to all the churches and visit them. And, and I'm sure push uh, the gospel out even further. Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us. Paul says, no, I don't think it's a good idea. And he doesn't just say it like that. Because it says there was a sharp contention, right? That's a, that's a nice, polite way of saying there's an argument. They, fought, they fought about it. And that's got to be discouraging to John Mark. I'm sure he knew about this. Now, perhaps Paul was right. He was doubtful of Mark's maturity. He had to think of the safety and the be- what's best for the group. But Mark must have felt rejected. And it's odd coming from Paul, isn't it? We think about all the things that Paul had done before he was converted to Christ and how doubtful people were of Paul, right? The apostles doubted him. Others doubted him whether he was sincere. So you would think, if anything, Paul would be the guy who would give people second chances. But that's not the case here. John Mark must have felt discouraged, rejected. Now he's also caused a sharp disagreement between friends. They don't hold this against each other forever, and there's much to be learned from that. But I think what I want to focus on here is John Mark's reaction. Others have been discouraged by their brethren in the New Testament. Most often, I think, of of Jesus in that regard. How disappointed Jesus must be have been many times. But look in the book of Mark again. In chapter 14, and verses starting in verse 32, it says, And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit ye here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and be very heavy, and saith unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he comes and he found them sleeping. And said unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst thou not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest he enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Jesus was disappointed. He's going through the most difficult point in his life. He's known this is coming. And his closest friends he brings with him. And he tells them to watch and to pray. And they fall asleep. So John Mark is not the first 
to disappoint his brethren. I think about Paul as well. He was often disappointed in his brethren. Peter and and Barnabas disappointed him one time. But Paul also was concerned about the churches. You see it in 1 Corinthians when he writes to the church and he's trying to convince them to change from things that they they had done. You see it in 2 Corinthians. You see it in 2 Timothy. Uh, This idea of, uh, I'm concerned about you. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, 28, And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You see in 2 Timothy 4.10, he talks about Demas. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. We see people disappointing Paul. But Mark has Uncle Barnabas to defend him. And the application is that we must put our full trust in the Lord, not in men. John Mark was willing to go back out after he had deserted. He wanted a second chance, and he does go. And we see the wisdom of Barnabas probably taking him to Cyprus, the home of Barnabas, giving him that kind of foundation. We're on the mission trip, but we're at a place where there's still support. We must not give up when our brethren reject us or disappoint us. When others stop believing in us or others do things that disappoint us, that doesn't mean we are to give up. We have to continue on the path. We all need to be a modern-day Barnabas to modern-day John Marks, those who are needing encouragement. And we all need to be there to encourage others to build up the church. The fourth picture we get of John Mark is of one who is actively serving Christ. So we see that in the fact that he has gone on with Barnabas and he has gone on the mission trip. We see it also in Colossians 4.10. Paul writes, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Philemon 24, it says, And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. We see here Paul commending John Mark. At some point, John Mark makes up with Paul. He has proved himself to Paul at this point, and now he finds him valuable. More years have passed, and now Mark is completely recovered from his previous failure. And it seems that he is planning a mission trip to the very place where he had forsaken Paul and Barnabas. He bounced back. We look at Philippians 3, 13 and 14. It says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and standing forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We've got to press on to the goal. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin. We're going to fall short. But when we do, we press forward. We, we don't focus on our sins and the failures of the past, if we do that, we'll always be trapped in the past and we'll never make progress towards the goal. We see that Mark has put that behind him and he is pressing on to the goal, actively serving Christ. And then finally, a fifth picture of John Mark is him writing one of the gospel accounts 
of Jesus. How unlikely a candidate for that, right? Someone who abandoned Paul and Barnabas on the mission trip. But now he has bounced back. He is not only serving Christ and actively helping Paul, helping Barnabas, helping Peter. He's also writing an account, making sure that as time passes, that story is going to be preserved. There are at least eight men, possibly nine, depending on who wrote Hebrews, who were inspired to write the New Testament. And John Mark is among them. It's written between 60 and, and 68 A.D. A whole generation has grown up since Jesus walked the earth. And Mark turns his attention to preserving that story for all generation. He takes the knowledge of his experience along with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he pens the gospel account of Mark. It's the gospel of action. You love Mark because when you read through Mark, Jesus is always moving forward. It's always, he's always doing something, going somewhere. It, it reads very quickly because it's the gospel of action. The Lord was able to take someone who had made a mistake and use him to further his cause. And the, the truth is, it's always that way, isn't it? We, we see it throughout all of Scripture. There are those who make mistakes. God uses them. Sometimes they make more mistakes. But God continues to use them to his purpose. And he can do the same for us. It's because all have made mistakes. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So today, I just want to ask, you know, what part of this story are, do you fall in right now? All of us fall within this picture book of John Mark to some degree. But what part of it do you need to draw application from today? Are you struggling in the faith? Have you, you made a mistake? Are you untested? Are you unsure? Are you afraid? Have you, you turned away from God? Do you need to get back on the path? Are there those who doubt you in, in the brotherhood? Are there those who have hurt you, discouraged you? Do you need to put that aside and make things right with God? Have you turned away when fear and doubt rose up? Have you discouraged others by your actions? Or are you actively serving Christ? Have you fully turned your attention to the life of Christ and how we can be more like Him? So this morning, I just want to encourage you, if you are subject to the invitation, that you will come forward here in just a moment when we we stand and we sing. If you've never put on Christ in baptism, I would encourage you to sit down and study with one of us. We would love to have that opportunity to teach you about the saving grace of God and how God provided His Son in our place because we all deserved to die for our sins, separated from God. But He made a way to reconcile us to Him. 
if you have done that, you've put on Christ a baptism, but you've walked off the path, you've become discouraged, you've given up, we would encourage you this morning to make that right, to recommit yourself to the Lord, to get back on the path if there's sin in your life, to repent, confess, to turn away from that, and get back on the path, and we will help you, and we will be there for you, we will pray with you, we'll pray for you, and we will be there afterwards to help you along that way. If either one of those is the case for you this morning, please make it right as we stand uh, and as we sing. Thank <clears throat> you.